I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversation, diverse connection, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live. Episodes focus on life beyond recovery, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges, and the authentic accounts of recovered lives. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone, here we go. My guest for today is Holly Toronto, and she is such a beautiful soul. I am really looking forward to all of you listening to all the wisdom and beauty that Holly has to share. So we're just going to jump right in. Okay, here we go. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites. I am so excited to be sitting with Holly Toronto. Holly, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Karen. I'm so excited to be here. I'm thrilled to have you, and I'm wondering if we can start by you telling listeners a little bit about who you are and the work that you're doing. Absolutely. So I have been a certified master level health coach for five years now, which feels wild to think about how quickly that time has gone. And I'm sure we'll get into a little bit of my journey, but I haven't always been doing the work that I do. And how I like to explain the work that I do is that I help women heal their relationship to their body and food so that they can use the energy that they once put towards managing their body and stressing over food towards living a life that is something that they have, they've been desiring and truly fulfilling to them. So everything you're saying sounds phenomenal. And, and I think it's interesting. There's a lot of us that are in the field that this is our second careers. And, you know, I was in sales prior to to being an eating disorder specialist. The reality is though, is my heart is in healing. I think I was doing what I thought I was supposed to do when I got out of college, as opposed to what really spoke to me. And I don't know why I just thought of that when you said, you know, this isn't what I was always doing. So can you go back and tell listeners a little bit about what you were doing in the past and how you got into this? Yeah, I would say what I was doing in the past directly informs what I'm doing now. So I was like many young teenage girls and I loved fashion and I loved makeup and I loved, you know, making myself more beautiful. And there was definitely some disordered eating stuff happening in my teenage years. Yet my my love for fashion actually inspired the the career choice that I made. And so I, I when I was 18, I left my hometown. I moved to New York City and I pursued a career in the fashion industry. So I went to FIT And after graduating, I got a job in the fashion industry and I worked in that space for about seven years. And if I'm totally honest, I I definitely felt similarly to what, what you shared before. Like I was like, I'm not really sure, like, this is it, you know, like it was, it was a lot of energy that I was putting into the work that I was doing, like 14 hour days, really trying to like strive, climb that corporate ladder. And I experienced a lot of success, but also a lot of burnout at the same time. So I was like showing up to work when I had appendicitis. Like I just had like really, really um, poor habits around productivity and prioritizing productivity over my actual body and my well-being. And also with that, the fashion industry is a very image-centric industry. And I absolutely fell prey to a lot of the pressures to quote unquote, look the part. So making sure that I was always dressed up in a certain way. And with that, that I was as thin as I possibly could be, because that was also something that felt like almost like an expectation working in that space. And there was a lot of, I would even go as far as to say competition 
among myself and my fellow women working in that industry of like, who could be the skinniest? And so there was a lot of disordered eating, a lot of, a lot of dieting in that space. Yet something else was happening for me and that I was struggling with female adult acne. So I had had acne since I was about 18 years old. And after I got married, when I turned 27, I decided I wanted to take a quote unquote, more holistic approach to managing my acne. And so I started working with a naturopathic doctor and acupuncturist who overnight put me on a very extreme diet, which I won't go into. Um, and it was supposed to be temporary. It was supposed to be like six weeks with an integration plan. <laughs> and Okay. I do just want to interrupt. The way you were like, it was supposed to be temporary. <laughs> so I feel like this is where the dramatic music goes. Dun, dun, dun. Keep, keep going, Holly. Keep going. <laughs> that is. It's like, yeah, because it, it seems all, you know, like, oh, yeah, it seems like the right thing to do, quote unquote, the right thing to do. And yeah, so there there was a six weeks that came and went. And during that time, the integration plan that I was anticipating did not happen. And because I'm I, I'm an Enneagram three, we don't have to get into what the Enneagram is, but I'm a, I'm a high achieving person and I love to do things the right way <laughs> and um, follow the direction from somebody that I put in a position of authority. And so my, my naturopathic doctor and acupuncturist is like, you're doing a great job, like keep going. But like my skin wasn't clearing. So like the reason that I had gone on this diet was to clear my skin and that actually wasn't helping. But the, the longer I stayed on that, I lost weight. <laughs> and with that received all of the praise, all of the accolades that women and people in our society get when they're able to lose weight and keep it off. And so I actually became a health coach because of that, because people were like, oh, you're doing so good. Like, you're so inspiring. You have to help me lose weight in the same way that you did. And, and again, couple that with like, just feeling really unfulfilled working in fashion. I, I found health coaching and I got a certification and I built my coaching practice off of that paradigm of like helping people lose weight through like toxic wellness culture ways of just like highly restrictive eating. Yet underneath the surface, you know, I was, I was actually having some pretty significant health struggles. Like my hair was falling out and I had digestive issues and I was constantly stressed and anxious around food. I was socially isolating. I wouldn't go out to eat with friends because I was worried that I wouldn't be able to control the food that was, um, that was being served. And so I would say the biggest turning point happened for me about five years ago, right after I left my corporate job, my husband and I took a trip to Alaska on a cruise. And on that cruise, I'd never been on a cruise before, so I didn't know what to expect. And I didn't bring my, my suitcase of like approved superfoods for this vacation. <laughs> and I found myself every single day in front of these buffets of delicious foods that I had previously deemed off limits. And I, was actually, I actually created a deep fear of through all of that disordered eating. And I was having anxiety attacks every single day. And I was telling my husband, I would never go on a trip like this ever, ever again, which like, oh my God, Alaska is like gorgeous. <laughs> like I was, and I was too wrapped up in like what I was eating and making sure I was working out every day to actually really, really enjoy it. And so I don't know who told me about this book. I don't know how it even landed in my lap, but I brought intuitive eating with me on that trip, interestingly enough. And I started reading it and I, I read it under the understanding that it would like, like help me get rid of any temptation to eat quote unquote bad foods, right? That it would like reprogram my mind to like only want quote unquote healthy foods. Yeah. I started reading it and I was like, oh no, <laughs> like, look at what I've been creating for myself. Look at what I've potentially been creating for other people. And I came back from that trip and I, I really had a lot of reckoning to do within myself first, but I started to integrate those principles. And that led me towards exploring body image healing and really focusing on healing how I see myself moving away from objectification of my body and the sort of weight centric model for connecting with health and well-being. And yeah, that after I did that healing work on myself, I, it, it inevitably and started to inform my coaching practice. And I kind of never looked back from that point. It's, it's really, I, I appreciate the way you took us through the narrative. It's, it's really, it's, it's, I want to say beautiful narrative, even though there's pain in it and there's distor disordered eating. I just, I appreciate how you explain that there are, it's just starting with the idea if you take certain foods out, your skin's going to be better. Your, you know, the mucus is going to stop. And there's, you know, the bottom line is, and 
everybody hear me. I'm not saying I'm not giving any medical advice and I'm not, you know, saying it's balance. It's about balance, right? And then look at what happened to you. Trying to to figure it out through a food then got you into a rabbit hole of disordered eating. And I also want to say it is coupled with a little bit, well, a lot with your personality trait and also the industry that you were in. How do you feel that the fashion industry impacted you with how you felt about yourself? And, and I, 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 listeners couldn't see this, but my jaw dropped when Holly said, I went to work with appendicitis. Like you weren't even, you weren't even caring for your body in the sense of medical emergencies. So can you speak a little to that? How did it play into your body image, your self-worth, your sense of self? Yeah, I, I, I love the way you're asking this question because I'm not even sure that I've really fully thought about it. But what what's coming to mind right now, um, or I've thought about it in this way, I should say, uh, what's coming to mind right now is like what came first, the chicken or the egg? Because my, and I don't know if this is a nature versus nurture thing. I would imagine that it's much of it is nurture, especially for young girls. Like I, I had a, what I would call probably an obsession with looking beautiful from a very, very young age. And I, and I know many women can resonate with that. Like I, I got a lot of validation from others telling me that I was cute when I was like a little girl. Right. And that translated into like beautiful as a teenager. And that got made me curious about how much more beautiful could I make myself? How much more could I adorn myself so that I'm visually appealing to others and really relating to myself as an object instead of a person. And in many ways, I feel like that's what's what informed that initial career choice. It was like, I wanted to be surrounded by beauty, but not in a way that it's like, beauty as art and beauty as something that's inspiring and, and um, yeah, like uh, stimulating and all of that kind of goodness that comes with beauty. It was beauty from this very like surface level, I'm lacking in some way. I need to, I need to, I need to make myself more, yeah, like beautiful so that I can increase in status, if that makes sense. And so like that conditioning within myself, I think is actually what led me to even pursuing that career path in the first place. But then it just became amplified in that environment. And it was like kind of the water I was swimming in, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I also want to say the fashion industry has a lot of power in marketing and what we what we are supposed to perceive as the way to look in the world. And so that is really challenging when someone is trying to live in their body, you know, live live in a way that works for them, yet the clothes that are being designed are designed for small, tall, thin white women. Mm-hmm. And they are being manufactured in small sizes because they're going off of one model. Do I have that correctly, or did I make that up? Or can you see? You something? are spot on. You are spot on. That's I, when I'm working with my clients around clothing and fashion and self-expression in this way. Sizing is something that always comes up, and I, I actually have to walk them through how sizing works. So when a retailer is designing a garment and fitting a garment, they choose one model who will come in and it's, that model is usually a size two, zero or two, and they fit that garment to her body. And then they grade up or grade down based on that person's body, right? Without taking into account like, oh, people have different thigh sizes, <laughs> different like hips, different waists. And, and so what we're told, right, is that when a garment doesn't fit us, is that the pathology is on our body, right? There's something wrong with our body versus the fact that the fashion industry, which I'm not sure, I don't know exactly how to remedy this without going back to the days of like, we have three garments that are fit perfectly to our bodies. But like with fast fashion, it's like, I don't really know how they exactly remedy this. But like the knowing that that garment was fit for one person's body and there's 
what, 7 billion different people on the planet with 7 billion different bodies. So how can we expect that we're all going to fit into this one garment? Like it's entirely arbitrary. And then on top of that, just the manipulation that happens in sizing too, which a lot of people don't realize that a lot of retailers use something called vanity sizing to actually get you to buy more clothes. So there's certain retailers, I won't name them, but I'm very aware of them now that actually size their clothing smaller. Like the, so let's say like a size six or size four, they'll actually size it as, no, a size six, they'll actually size it as a size four, right? So like it's a size six garment with a five, a size four label. And because when you go into that store, you're like, oh, I'm a four in this store as opposed to my regular six. And then suddenly you want to buy more stuff, right? (laughs) So it is, it's incredibly manipulative. And that's why we just have to like, remember that sizing actually totally doesn't matter. Like it totally is made up most of the time. So I want to tell you that I, that surprises me that there's an actual term for it. Because one of the things I was going to say, and I didn't think it was actually calculated, is I can be a size D in one store and I'm a size P in another store. I'm just obviously trying to use arbitrary, not use numbers. And I always just assume like, oh, designers were different or, but I didn't realize there was actually a calculated reason that they wanted to seduce people into even thinking that they're in different sizing in one particular brand. Yeah, because it creates a sense of like, because we as a society value smallness and thinness, it creates this this environment in your brain like, oh, well, I'm smaller in this store. So I get that sense of like, oh, like that sense of like status, that sense of my body's more valuable when I shop in this store. So it's like, it's very manipulative. I, I'm sorry. I, I thought I knew a lot, but for some reason, that one piece of information just really threw me where I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe how calculated everything is. And unfortunately, the calculation is leads to everybody feeling crappy about themselves. Totally. It also, I just want to name too, like the vanity sizing thing is a thing, but then also there are certain brands, again, I won't call anybody out specifically, that creates an entire brand image around being exclusionary with sizing. And this happens a lot more with young, young girls brands, like young teen brands, where they'll have a one size fits all and they're, no, it's one size fits most. And so you go in there and it's what it it says one size fits most, but they're incredibly tiny clothing that doesn't fit the vast majority of, of young girls. And, um, it creates this like exclusionary uh, effect where it's like, oh, some girls can shop here, but if you're in a bigger body, you're not welcome because you're not in the quote unquote most. So it, yeah, it's, it makes me quite angry to, to think about how manipulative, brands can be with sizing. And again, this isn't all brands. I I see many brands doing a much better job these days with representation and sizing and not making plus size in this like other category that's, you know, not allowed to shop in the store kind of thing. But like, I think it's important for people to be aware that this stuff is happening when you're going out and shopping. And I also think it's important for people to be aware, as you said earlier, there are 7 billion people on this planet, which means there are 7 billion different body combinations, and we're not all going to fit into one category. And, you know, people have heard me say this before. One of the many things that went into my eating disorder when I was in college was I desperately wanted to fit in. I didn't feel like I fit in anywhere. And I tried to fit in by wearing the clothes that were trendy and that all my friends were wearing. And it looked like they put them on with such ease and they didn't fit my body. My body wasn't or isn't made that way. And what what happened? I took it out of my body. There's something wrong with me. That's why people also know, and again, they've heard this before, I don't dress like anybody else on the planet. And I'm really proud of it. I wear what works for me. I love clothes that flow because they're comfortable and they feel elegant for me. For me, flowy feels elegant and beautiful. That's what I love. And thank God I allow myself to to know that and to do it. I, I don't know if you have anything to say to that or if not, or 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and first of all, that made me so excited to know that that you've made such a, a 180 in that way of you used to try to dress to fit in, but now you found your own unique style and expression. And I think that that is so beautiful and, and such a, a manifestation of doing healing work on your relationship to your body. I kind of went in a in, a, in another direction where I like rebelled and I like stopped shopping and I'm like, I'm just going to, you know, wear the same things and like, <laughs> just, and, and that's kind of where I'm at now. Like I, I'm much more simplistic in the way that I dress, which feels good to me. Like I have, you know, my, my set little wardrobe that I, I love to wear and it's very comfortable things. Um, but yeah, I would say it, it kind of staying in that space of comfort. Cause you named that too. You feel elegant, but you also feel comfortable. It's like, can we prioritize, yes, self-expression and feeling good in the clothes that we wear from, from an aesthetic perspective? Because there's nothing wrong with wanting to look good um, from an aesthetic perspective. But can we also see this as an act of kindness to our bodies to not try to shove them into things that weren't meant for their bodies and like not have that be a judgment or something wrong that their bodies, th those clothes weren't meant for their bodies. Um, and I, I think I'm thinking about a client of mine that I've been working with who she had a lot of stuff around her arms and not showing her arms. And in the summer she would suffer in long sleeves because she didn't want to show her arms. And now she's at a place where she's like, I'm really hot. She lives in the Pacific Northwest where it's like crazy um, heat waves happening. And she's like, I'm going to be comfortable and I'm going to wear tank tops and I'm going to go out in public in those tank tops and I'm not going to care what people think. And so yeah, it's, 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 it's also an act of like reclamation too to feel really comfortable and, and honor your body through the clothes that you're wearing. All right. Also just another little tidbit of my life. So this is, so you said yeah. how you, your wardrobe is really simple. I, I don't know. I wasn't saying that as an insult. I'm saying it because everybody who knows me, they know that all I wear is black and number one, that keeps it very simple. But number two, what that allows me to do and people are going to think I'm so narcissistic. I wear the most fabulous shoes and fabulous jewelry. That's how I change my, like whatever, how I'm feeling. Some days I feel like wearing more muted shoes. Some days I feel like wearing platform shoes. Some days I feel like wearing big jewelry. It's, it's all about honoring. I don't, I don't really care about the clothing part. That's for me is just like the, the, the backdrop for my jewelry and my shoes. Oh, and my handbags. I'm not going to lie. Yes. You make yourself into like a canvas every day and then you decorate. And then I decorate it. It's so much fun. Wow. We really digress. But I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought that was pretty fun to go to. So, Holly, what are some of the common themes that clients come to you with when they're saying, and are some clients coming to you not understanding that you're not there to teach them weight loss, that that's not the goal? So share a little bit of that with the listeners. Yeah, I would say at this point, with the exception of maybe a handful of clients, because I won't turn somebody away if if weight loss is their, is their goal, just because I, yeah, I feel like I can still support them as long as they know that like, that's not necessarily my intention worth working with them. And I invite them to, if possible, put that goal on a side burner or a back burner while we do the work of healing their relationship to their body and food. So, so yeah, my, my work is not weight centric and as much as possible, I, I, I keep it weight neutral. Um, so I would say that the things that most of my clients come to me for is this sense of being so done with diet culture <laughs> and having tried every diet under the sun and tried everything to like and love their bodies more. And they just feel the sense of like, okay, it's time to do it a different way. It's time to actually approach my relationship to my body and to my health from it's, it's like, I don't know if this will sound cheesy to people, but from like a loving perspective, because so often when we are pursuing dieting and we're, and we're, you know, trying to use like shame as a motivator to like make our bodies smaller, that's coming from this, like, it's, it's not a sustainable model. Like shame will, will never be get change. It just, it just won't. Um, and 
they just feel done with that and they're ready for, for a new way. And so that's generally the client that comes to me and the basis of the work, I, I would say like one of the, the foundational principles of the work that I'm doing is how I can support my clients from shift to shift from objectification treating themselves like an object and that's that's you know something just to manipulate and change and that's there merely for the viewing pleasure of others to personification and recognizing that they are a human being inhabiting a body and what a blessing that is and from that place right when you're actually considering your body a human being that's when you're able to show up with with care and love and respect for your body. So I'm happy to elaborate on that if you have questions, but I would say that's sort of like the foundational principle. Of I, I just, I it's, it's not even a question. It's just expand any way you want, because as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking it is, how do I explain this? I, I did an interview yesterday with a woman who almost did not understand her connection to her body until her daughter had an eating disorder. And then she was like, what am I doing to my body and with my food and with my, and so there's something about the way you were just talking is trying to get people to that moment where they get out of that trance and recognize what our bodies are for, what our bodies do, what our bodies hold, how they love, how all of this so yeah, anything you want to expand on that, that's just where my my mind went. Yeah. And that was beautifully said because I think that for many of us, especially women, we are conditioned from a very young age to see ourselves as objects, to see ourselves as something that exists merely for the viewing pleasure of others. It's well, how we gain status. It's how we gain popularity. It's how we gain mates. Like it, in many ways, it's like very primal, which we could, we could go down a whole rabbit hole with, with that too. Um, and, and that leads to a lot of disordered eating, of course, but then a lot of just what I, what I call with my clients, this one day thinking this like, okay, once I have the ideal body, then I can put myself out there for the relationship. Then I can put myself out there for the promotion or the career change or, or the, the, you know, the passion project that I want. Then I can wear the clothes that I've, I've really been wanting to wear. I can dress myself in the way that I really want to dress. And, and because we know like, okay, weight loss doesn't work, right? Diets fail 98% of the time. Like it just doesn't work. They keep themselves in this place where life is just going by, right? Life is just happening. And they're kind of like waiting and waiting and waiting um, for, some time in the future. Yeah. When, when they're able to like lose the weight and then have the life that they want. That Right there. Lose the weight and then have the life that they want. This is what people think. They don't have the life they want because they haven't lost the weight. What they don't realize is they don't have the life they want because, because they're blocking themselves until they cross some imaginary line, imaginary number, which as we were saying, doesn't work. Or if it works, it works very for a day or two, you know, and then you go. So, and people automatically say, I can't find a relationship because of my body. I can't, I can't do my dream job because of my body. Everything gets placed on the body. The body is not holding you back because of how it looks. It's because of how you perceive it to look. And I also want to say, I want to take a step back. There is fat phobia in the world. There are biases. So I don't want people to think I'm, I'm invalidating or just saying, love your body and walk out in the world. I will never deny that. We need to we need to conquer fat phobia. We need to conquer the biases, the the privilege, all these things. But I don't want people to wait until it happens because we don't know how long it's going to take to happen. Does that make sense to you, Holly? Or one thousand percent. And I'm so glad that you named the last piece of it because I I really don't want to be reductive in that way. That it's just about like oh now just love your body and like everything's going to be fine because that's not true. It, it, and especially for um, many, many people that live in larger bodies and experience weight stigma 
just living and being in the world and at the doctor's office. And like, that's very, very real stuff. And so I, I also, you know, I live in a smaller body. It's just my, my natural frame. And so, um, I, I recognize that my journey to loving my body isn't fraught with those, those same obstacles. And so I always want to name that, but I also, I do work with clients who, who live in larger bodies and we have to contend with that in our relationship. Um, how they might feel like, okay, yeah, I can stop dieting and accept my body as she is and, and still not be able to fit in an airplane seat or not be able to fit in, um, a baseball stadium seat. Right. And, and that's really painful and really hard. And the thing is, is that like, it, I understand why it feels easier to try to control your body because the likelihood of, you know, Yankee Stadium changing their seats to be more size inclusive, it's like probably not going to happen in our lifetime. And so like that's, yeah, that's legitimate. And so what I see my role as with my clients is like, okay, like I understand why you're wanting to change your body, but let's also look at the cold hard facts around what hasn't worked. We know that going down that path of dieting restriction, it has not worked. It's actually left you in a far worse place in your health and how you see yourself. And so can we look at this thing that you're desiring, this thing that you want, like, okay, to go to a baseball stadium, to go to a game. And can we look at like what you're actually desiring there? You're desiring connection with your friends, rallying around a team maybe that you feel really excited about, or it's like your home team. You're craving having that like, leisurely beer on a Saturday afternoon or eating that hot dog or whatever, like you're create like those are the things that you're craving. And how can we actually create that experience without having to rely on the form of a baseball stadium uh, or allowing that baseball stadium to like define your worth or your ability to enjoy and have fun in the world? And so can we get curious about uh, bleacher seating? Can we get curious about uh, standing room only seating, which people love to kind of hang out and just like party in those areas? Can we get curious about hosting your own parties at home and creating those experiences and not let the limitations of our society, which I'm like, I wish I could change it. I wish I could wave that magic wand, but I'm just not sure that's going to happen. And I don't want you to feel held back from, from the enjoyment of life for the rest of your life because those systems aren't changing. I, I, I know it's going to happen, but I also feel, you know, lucky enough to know some of the top activists in the field and it's going to take a long time. <laughs> so it it will, it will happen. I, I know these people personally and, and even then it breaks my heart to say, and we have a long way to go. Yeah, we do. And how can we, my role as a coach is like, how can I help you make the most of your life right now? Do you ever get triggered doing the work when people are talking about losing weight or good foods, bad foods, or how do I look in this outfit or anything like that? Do you ever get triggered from being in the, you know, you know, your past of being in the fashion industry and things like that? It's interesting. I don't actually get triggered by my clients. Um, that, that feels like it's, it's something that I've built a lot of like resilience with, with them. And I'm able to just kind of like keep that boundary with them. Um, so like, that's not a space where I feel triggered, but like, I'm also a human being. And even though I've been doing this work for so many years, like there are times when I'm out in the world or maybe with a certain friend group that doesn't hold the same values that I do around dieting and body image where I might feel a trigger. And then that's where I need to kind of do, come back and start lean on my tools and do my own work. It's, it is true. I think, I think it's, it's, we are, we are still subjected to a heavy diet culture to, you know, groups of friends, like you said, that, that buy into the diet culture and the trendy clothing and all of this. And, and it takes work. It takes work to recover from an eating disorder and it takes work to stay grounded in yourself ongoing. Mm -hmm. The difference is for me now, I, I can, I can tell the days that, that things are not feeling good in me, on me, around me. And I can have compassion for myself and kindness and talk myself through it. Just like you said, now you have the tools. Nobody's immune to this. We're bombarded bombarded. I think we're, I, and, and I am definitely using this number incorrectly. So everybody, please hear me when I say that. I think 
we get bombarded by like 500 advertisements a day. Is that? I, I think it's more. Oh, huh. I think we'll have to Google it after yeah. somebody Google it. Yeah. But I think especially now with social media ads and banner ads and things like that, like it's it's a lot of ads. Okay. It might be. I t- yeah. I totally underestimated. Yeah, it might be more. <laughs> Thank God. As I said, please do not quote me on this number. So I'll have to look up. We'll have to look it up for sure. Because you could be right. What do you think about social media? How is this playing into how men and women and, and non-binary, how people feel about who they are and, and, and how they are in the world? I, I want to answer. Can I name one thing about a thought that came up with the last thing that we said? And then I want to talk about social media for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So you you were talking about, you know, being triggered and like sort of these like deeper underlying issues that come with body image. And like, that's something that I just want to name too, is like, sometimes it really is our bodies that we're fighting. Um, and then sometimes it's actually not our bodies that we're fighting. Sometimes our bodies are just the easier thing to fight than what we're actually naming, right? Because we're told that we can control, we're told we can manipulate, we're told we can shrink our bodies. And that feels like in some ways easier to contend with than perhaps the fact that I feel unworthy, mm-hmm. right? Because worth is something that's not tangible, whereas our body is. Yeah. And I find that in my work with my clients with body image, like what's underneath all of that is self-worth, is this sense of like, I'm not going to be worthy. And then if I'm not worthy, then I'm not loved and I'm not valuable. And I, and then I don't belong, right? It's all this sense of like ecology. Yeah. And so that's why I always say that this body image work, it's actually much deeper. It's sort of like a gateway back into like down into the deepest parts of ourselves to start to build a sense of self-worth that what I like I'll often call it like rock solid self-worth that isn't dependent on all of these external factors in order to define it or validate it or affirm it. I love the term rock solid self-worth. First of all, that just feels like fun. And second of all, it it is it's just it's just a great way of describing it. And we are so conditioned to blame ourselves for not fitting into a cultural norm that we feel this is where some of the worthlessness comes from, right? Well, if you if if you want to look a certain way, then diet. What have some more discipline, work out more. It is, it is insidious how much we blame ourselves for something that we have literally no control over. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I with the self-worth piece of it. So we can go in so many different directions with this, but and I, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not sure I can pinpoint like one specific evil that's at the, the root cause of this, like consumerism. And, you know, for me, I grew up in evangelical Christianity. And so there's this idea of original sin, like all of these things that like, I know for so many people, we are taught that our starting place is worthlessness. And I don't like, that might be like a Western thing, who knows, but <laughs> the starting place is worthlessness and that it is our job to earn that worth and status through productivity, through earning a lot of money, through being as beautiful and thin as we possibly can be, through upholding this image of ours, like this, you know, high status image of ourselves. And for so many of us, right, it leads us in this place of just feeling like it's never enough. It becomes this void, right? We get to a certain point in our success and it's like, oh, it's still not enough. I need more. We get to a certain point in our weight loss journey and it's like, oh, it's never enough. I need more. That's like something so many of my clients have told me when they were at their thinnest, they were their most miserable and it wasn't enough for them. Right. So there's this void that's created within ourselves that like we have to keep constantly earning more and more and more status symbols so that we know that we're worthy. And it just it leaves us in this very depleted unfulfilled place like that's that's and, and that's why I feel like the real work is is in healing the worth piece of it. Because the reality is careers can be taken away from us at any point. Financial status, any point. I have said to clients, who are you outside of the label that's been given to you for what you do for work? And clients have said to me, I don't know what you mean by that. Who 
are you outside of this resume? And they look at me like, I don't know how to, and I, listen, God forbid, if anything ever happened to my career, I'd be devastated, but I still know who I am as a human being, who I am from my heart, from the way I view things, from my personality. We have completely, completely, completely gone away from that. We are no Mm -hmm. longer at all in touch with who we are. It is about what we are. That's 1000%. It. That's, that's the stuff. Like when I asked my clients to tell me, like, tell me, tell me who you are. Tell me about what makes you, you outside of how others perceive you or, you know, seeking more status or achievement or whatever it might be. Yep. And they're like, I don't know, I guess I'm nice. And I'm like, that's the, okay. That's the bare minimum. If you can acknowledge that about yourself, that's wonderful. And like, there's so much like tell you are a multifaceted dynamic human yep. being so much more than your labels. This is where though, and I kind of want to make a turn where social media comes into play because look at the power social media has over everybody right now, especially the last year and a half during the pandemic. So I'm just going to say, Holly, what do you think about social media? (laughs) We're just going to start right there. Just give you a really big open question. If you had, if we had had this interview a couple months ago, like we were meant to, I might have a different answer for you. <laughs> um, but I, I'm in a very, it's like, so when Facebook first came out and you could put your relationship status as like, it's complicated. That's how I feel about social, my relationship with social media right now. It's complicated because in one respect, I have used it as a tool for myself and with my clients to gain evidence of people living their lives unapologetically in the bodies that they're in. Because I love that so much that it allows us to, um, yeah, curate our feeds in a way to be like, yeah, look at that woman in that body wearing those clothes and just like loving her freaking life. And that's so inspiring. And so I will celebrate and acknowledge social media for that. I'll also celebrate and acknowledge social media for the people that it's brought into my life. Because I've actually made some friends on social media, which is wonderful. And I think it's really important to remember, and if anybody has not watched The Social Dilemma, please do. It is. I'm sorry for interrupting. Yeah, please. But I I think I walked around feeling in a a daze, for days, excuse me, after, after watching that. And it was unbelievable. And I'm saying it like this because I just saw it like a month ago. So it's still really, that's an incredible, incredible documentary. Go ahead. I watched it when it first came out and it still sits with me. It still haunts me in a way for how I even I'm aware of the influence that it has over me. Um, I'm aware of the ways it can make me feel outraged and angry and disconnected from myself. And, and when it comes to like specifically what we're talking about right now with body image, the impact that the undeniable impact that social media has had on young girls is Oh my God, it makes me sick to my stomach. Like when they show that graph of this 2009, when iPhones became more mainstream, social media is on phones and that, that increase in phone and social media usage correlating to suicide rates in young girls, it, it's horrendous to me to, to see that. And yeah, it's, I, I even work with teen clients and, and social media is the thing that they kind of bring to me the most is like that triggered me. You know, my friend posted this thing on social. It's not even the interaction with the friend. It's like the the friend posted this thing on social media. Right. And so it does have this tremendous impact on, especially on young people on our brains and this idea of being able to curate your life and put forth this image of yourself that's, you know, happy and like you have the right filters on there and you're able to make your eyes a little bit bigger and you're able to put forward this like curated version of yourself. It's, um, I, I'm unsure and uncomfortable and and not hopeful about the long-term impacts that we'll have on how we perceive ourselves and how we perceive others, especially for young people. Again, I don't mean to be like promoting a movie or a documentary, but I'm going to highly, highly encourage everybody 
to watch that. You think you know what it's about. You don't. You don't understand the level of not even manipulation, but just it. It is. I. I can't even say enough about. I. My. My. My mouth was open the whole time. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, I did not expect it to go this deep to this level. The way that it can create, and and this is like, we don't have to go down this this path, but like, you know, politically, we're extremely divided country, extremely divided country. And, and social media has a big hand to play in that because of confirmation bias, because it knows what to do to your nervous system to get you to stick around and stay outraged. So you stay outraged, your nervous system is activated, you want more and more and more and more and more. It's, it's addictive in that way. And it's like addictive through activating your stress, yeah. which is like, oh my God, like we know stress is like one of the worst things for our health, mentally and physically. So yeah, it's, and, and then just getting curious about like, okay, well, what's actually yours? Like we talk about in healing work of like setting boundaries and like, is that, is that my stuff or is that somebody else's stuff? But with social media, you're taking in like thousands of people's stuff and opinions within a day. So it's like, what's mine and what's yours? And unless you have like really solid boundaries, rock solid boundaries, right? It can be really, really hard to stay true within yourself and authentic within yourself without being influenced by um, how those algorithms are spewing information at you. It is really such a profound question. What's yours and what has been thrust upon you by all these thousands of images that you see all day, opinions, images, things like that. It's, it's really hard to like, like I'm trying to imagine like, and it's something that like I want to do tonight. I want to like sit down in silence and, and try to strip away what I can of others and try to really get in touch with what's mine, Holly. Ooh, it's, it's such a big question and, and something that I've done, um, in the past month, I've, I've take, made a conscious choice to n- maybe not forever, but for now, limit my interaction on social media as much as possible and focus more of, because social media is really a business tool for me. Um, it used to be a personal tool, which I kind of want to get back to that, like of just like, you know, showing fun photos of my dog. But um, yeah, it's, I, I've, I've decided to, with the exception of posting about like this episode when it comes out or an event that I have coming up or a podcast episode that I release, I'm going to be really staying off of it. And, and I, to, to avoid the temptation, I'd actually delete the app off my phone unless I need to get on to post something. And it's, I'm doing that with the express intention of coming back to self and getting curious about what's mine. And what are my thoughts on this issue? What are my, how do I really feel about this thing? before and become rock solid in that and of course there's you know opinions can change and beliefs can like I I allow myself to be flexible but I found especially in the past year and a half and just being on social media more just inevitably that I've really needed to take a step back and, and come back to self yeah yeah, I mean, it's it. I feel like this could be a whole nother episode. So I, I feel like, Holly, I hope you don't mind, but I'm definitely going to ask you to come back because I'd love to. <laughs> I already have so, so many other things, so many other directions I want to go into. And we actually are going to have to start winding down. And I'm really sad about that. So I love part twos, <laughs> I, right? We're going to do Holly part two. I love this. Holly, before we start to wind down, is there anything that I didn't ask you, anything that you'd like to share with listeners that that we didn't cover? Mm. I wanted to share, so I talked a little bit about moving from objectification to personification. And I find when I share this anecdote or this tip that it's sort of eye-opening for people to like a very small shift in how they talk about their bodies can make a profound impact on how they relate to their bodies. And so we are kind of told to relate to our bodies as this separate object, right? That it's this machine, it's this vehicle, it's this vessel, and we use it, right? We use it to describe our bodies as if it's, it is something separate. 
And one way that we can shift from objectification to personification is to actually stop using it or any sort of object objectifying language to describe our bodies and start describing our bodies with human pronouns. So she, her, she, her, he, they, right, to, I, to um, relate to our bodies. And it's pretty incredible what happens when someone starts to make that shift where it's like, instead of saying like, it's, it's so much harder to say, I hate her than it is to say, I hate it, right? And suddenly it's like, oh, you know what? She's feeling really tired. So I want to give her rest or she's really hungry. So I need to nourish her. And it's, it's a very profound shift. It is a profound thought because it is so true that the, the difference, and I'm just repeating what you said, but objectification and personification, once we make it personal, it's hard to be detached from it. And so often we'd rather be detached and not look within and just look outside of ourselves. Holly, that was, that's really, really great. Before we end, I do have to ask you one final question. Yeah. And that question is, Holly Toronto, if someone were to write about you on a bathroom stall, what would it say? <laughs> I love your final question so much. And um, I tried not to overthink it too much. Um, but I started to get curious about like, you know, they write like Holly Toronto call for a good time or something like that. Um, like what that would say about me and what I, the feedback that I, I think I get the most from, from people, um, which I, I love to hear, even though I don't always feel it is like, oh, you're like a snowflake. You're, you're really peaceful. You're just like very chill person. And I don't always feel that way internally, but I love that people recognize that about me. And so it's like, something along the lines of like Holly Toronto call for a chill time or call for a peaceful time. <laughs> I love it. And I'm putting your phone number as one of my favorites now because I need a chill time. I need peace. All of that. Holly, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you for being a guest. Mm, thank you for having me, Karen. I loved our conversation. Really fun. It was really fun. All right, everyone, that does it for another episode of Recovery Bites. I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next week. Take care and stay safe. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Recovery Bites. Be sure to visit recoverybitespodcast.com to join the conversation, access show notes, listen to past episodes, and more. You can also find us by searching for Recovery Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and major podcast streaming players. For weekly episode releases, you can follow us at at Recovery Bites Pod on Instagram. If you're interested in becoming a guest on the show or to submit a guest request, please visit KarenLewisEDC.com forward slash podcast signup to begin the process. I'd also like to send out a heartfelt thank you to my producer, Jen Galvin. It is unbelievable the magic she does behind the scenes. All right, everyone. See you next week for another Recovery Bite. Thanks for listening. <laughs>